Good morning, church. Good to be with you guys. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Yeah, we got a new kid check system. Anyone get to use that? Pretty excited about that. Uh, so we're not having lines come out the door, hopefully. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Daniel. I have the privilege of serving as one of the leaders of this church, and I have the joy of preaching today's message. Uh, today marks the third, third week of a four-week study through the Advent season. Uh, we're, we're going through a series that's titled Fulfillment of Scripture, and each week we're looking at a particular promise in the Old Testament uh, and how that has been fill, fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Uh, now, you know, next week we're going to wrap up our series, uh, and friends, there's only 10 more days left till Christmas. It's coming upon us quick. So uh, we're going to clo- wrap up our study next Sunday, uh, the following Tuesday. We'll have our Christmas Eve uh, gathering together. Uh, we'll have a cookie social afterwards at, at Phil and Melody's. I just love saying that word, uh, cookie social. <laughs> There'll probably be more than cookies there, but the cookies will be the main thing for me. Um, <laughs> And then the following Sunday, we're actually launching a new study through the gospel according to John. So uh, we thought it would be timely. Uh, We haven't done this in a while. And particularly with the new housing developments that have gone up in the city of Des Moines, we've sent out uh, mailer invites. So basically, if you live in the zip code of 98198, you're getting a mailer. I think we sent out about 16,000. Now, you know, just a a few. Uh, Just some of my closest friends. Uh, but I'm excited. Will's going Will's gonna to kick off this, this sermon series uh, December 29th. We're going to be looking at the first five verses of John. So um, again, just as this, I think this would be a, a time to invite someone into, you know, what do we believe about Jesus? How is he in fulfillment to uh, the Old Testament scriptures? Uh, the Gospel of John is going to be great for someone if, you know, you're talking to a coworker or you want to invite them in to, hey, what do you guys believe about Jesus? Who is he? Um, what does he do? We're, we're looking at the idea of the series we're looking at is written for belief looking at that last part of what John says in his gospel. I've written these things as a testimony that you might believe in Jesus and have life in him, uh, life in his name. That's what we're looking at. So it's going to be good. Any questions about that? Cool. I wanted to remind you too tonight, uh, this is the last night of Normandy Christian Church, uh, the church that so graciously allows me to office there for free. Uh, They're doing a drive-through Christmas uh, through their parking lot. So I did it last year. It's kind of fun. They've got animals and people dressed up and music going and I think they even have a movie playing. Uh, I think we went Margo last year. Uh, it's a great time. There's little flyers on the bar in the room right here off to my left. Uh, but if you don't have anything you want to do tonight or you want to take the family through a, uh, kind of a drive-through of what the Christmas story is, I recommend that uh, and seeing our friends at Normandy. Uh, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to take a hold of it and open with me to the, the book of Isaiah. This morning we we're looking at one verse like we did last week. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14. We believe as a church that Jesus and his coming to earth was in fulfillment to Scripture. Uh, The ancient Jewish prophecies and the ancient Jewish writings of a promised Messiah, a coming Savior, we believe that has been fulfilled in Jesus, and we believe that this was all uh, according to the plan of God. This wasn't some sort of last-minute thing that he threw together because humanity messed up his creation. Uh, This is a plan that God has orchestrated and planned out hundreds of years earlier, a plan that was really set in motion from the beginning of time. So if you're skeptical or you're curious about the Christian faith, I hope that this message and these series of messages through the study will help you see that uh, Jesus 
Jesus was fulfillment to the scripture, that he is what he said he is, uh, that, that people who believe in Jesus or believe the claims of the Bible, it's not a fairy tale. It's not an ancient myth. It's, we're not kind of poor, ignorant people to be pitied uh, who kind of blindly accept these outrageous claims. Uh, this is historical fact that we see and believe uh, and have experienced. Uh, this story of Jesus coming and the life that he offers is what we want to hold to and cherish as a church. That Jesus changes everything. That, that Jesus' grace is transformative. That Jesus is real. That he really came. He really lived. He really died. He really rose again. He can really change your life. You can really find acceptance and love with God in Jesus. That's the truth that we want to hold to and cling to and, and never give up from. We want to center our church on that. This is what I want my daughters to know and to love. I want them to receive this truth and believe it. Uh, funny enough, uh, my, Addison and I, we, we share this common love for donuts. <laughs> I, I love a good apple fritter. Addison's particular favorite is a maple bar. So yesterday, uh, we gave mom some, some quiet time, and I took the girls. We went to the dump, and then we went to QFC to get some donuts. And we got donuts, and we were in the checkout line, and uh, the, the lady goes, oh, your girls are so precious, you know, and you know how people can do that. Uh, and I'm just kind of smiling and nodding. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> guys, as you can see, this is not manuscripted. I have a, I have a little bracket here, Addison QFC, so I'm just going to roll with this. Um, and she said, well, you know, you guys, uh, you better be good for Santa, you know, hopefully that you've been good for Santa. And Addison, just stone-faced, cold-eyed, you know, serious, goes, Santa's dead. <laughs> and, and, the, and the lady goes, oh, uh, <laughs> all right. Now, I'm not saying you have to teach your children that Santa's dead, but uh, I would like Addison and Avery to believe that that there is more to Christmas than a round man wearing a red suit giving trinkets. And it's not about, we don't receive gifts based on our moral performance or how good we are. It's simply by his grace. And Jesus doesn't just give us material goods or feed this kind of consumerism that we have. He gives us himself, leading to our unending, everlasting joy and gladness. So I got to cut off a little tangent. Let's go back to Isaiah here. Let's turn to our text, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I want to provide a little bit of a context before we dive into this verse on what, what is going down and what the book of Isaiah is about the book of Isaiah is a beast of a book. It's 66 chapters. It's considered one of the major prophets with Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It's, it's a long book. There's a lot that's going on in Isaiah, and it's a lot about judgment. Uh, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is named after the prophet which bears his name, Isaiah. Isaiah is a man who prophesied about uh, 700 B.C., and he was prophesying during the decline of Israel, kind of right in the shadow, right in the wake of uh, the coming destruction from the nation of Assyria. And Isaiah is given a task to prophesy to a pretty tough crowd. Isaiah is told that you're going to preach, but the people aren't going to hear you. Uh, they're blind and they're uh, deaf. You're not, you're not going to preach and have large crowds of gather, people gather around you. You're not going to have uh, all these Christian uh, publishers wanting to sign book deals. 
You're not going to be able to build a helipad because you have multiple campuses. Uh, he's given a tough crowd to, to preach to. And Isaiah is, is continually warning the people about judgment and destruction, yet the people don't listen. But within the book of Isaiah, there's, there's glimmers of hope and promises of hope of renewal and restoration, that God would renew a remnant of Israel. There would be a, a, a few that would be gathered and, and that God would establish an eternal kingdom, a kingdom of justice and peace for all the nations. There would be a new creation where God would be their king and there would be eternal peace. The verse we're looking at this morning in, in chapter 7, verse 14, is found in a section where the prophet Isaiah has been sent to confront King Ahaz. King Ahaz was the king in Jerusalem. He was a descendant of David. You can learn more about this king and his rule in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 16. But what is happening in, this, in, this, in the context of this verse is that the nation of Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel have come together, they've joined forces, and they're going to attack Ahaz and the kingdom of Judah. They want to conquer Jerusalem for themselves, and they want to set up their own king um, in Jerusalem. But, Ahaz, but Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and says, don't be afraid. Stop worrying. The king of Assyria and Israel are plotting against you, but this is what the Lord God says, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. In other words, this invasion will never happen. This is, this is God's promise to protect Ahaz. Have faith in my sovereign provision. Yet Ahaz doesn't believe. He places his trust in another nation. He doesn't trust in God. He puts his his faith in human power and another nation rather than the sovereign power of God. And, and the book of 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 1 through 9, records that Ahaz uh, makes a deal with the king of Assyria. He gives him gold out of the temple to present to the king of Assyria as a present and invites, uh, and kind of inserting uh, or inviting uh, the king of Assyria to protect him. So he doesn't trust God to protect him. He essentially goes to the king of Assyria and wants to make a deal with him, gives him gold from the temple of the Lord himself. Uh, but even after this, uh, God comes to Ahaz and still tries to instill kind of a faith and trust in him and says, ask, the Lord said, spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. God is inviting him. Ask me a sign. I'll prove my, my providence and my, my, de- my dependence to you. But Ahaz foolishly says no. And then this is where God says in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's not waiting for Ahaz to give him a sign. He's giving him a sign himself. Uh, He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a coming sign to Ahaz and a sign of judgment. The Lord promises to bring upon him and all the people such days that have not come since the days of, that Ephraim departed from Judah. In other words, this sign of this virgin conceiving is the sign of coming judgment upon you and this nation. Your trust in the powers of humanity versus the providence of God. One commentator said it like this. The sign of the child, therefore, constitutes an indication that the all-sovereign and all-knowing God has the situation completely in hand and rebukes the king's lack of faith in him. It is true that the instrument of this devastation was to be Assyria, the very power Ahaz was courting instead of relying wholly on God. So see the ironic twist here. Ahaz relies upon Assyria instead of God, therefore Assyria is going to be the one that destroys him eventually. So we're looking at this morning is that sign regarding the judgment. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Now, in the context, it seems as if this, this promise has kind of a dual fulfillment. There is a fulfillment that happens in Ahaz's time, in this period. But ultimately, we'll see that it has another fulfillment, what we will see in the birth of Jesus, as we will look at in a moment. Interestingly enough, the word that Isaiah uses here in verse 14, the virgin, is a Hebrew word that could mean virgin, but it's a more ambiguous term that simply means a young woman of marriable age. Now, in the Israelite context, if you are a young woman of marriable age, you would be a virgin. If you weren't a virgin, you would probably be a prostitute. Just how it worked in their culture. But Isaiah doesn't use a technical term here for virgin. Rather, he uses a more ambiguous term because there, this seems to be kind of an a indication of that dual fulfillment, as I referenced earlier, a dual reference of this sign. In the immediate context, we can take this to understand that there will be a young woman of marriable age who will have a son. And when this son reaches to the age of 12 or 13, which is later what it says in verses 16, that's what it's in reference to, Syria and Israel, the two kings that Ahaz dreaded, will be deserted. They would cease to exist. So this is the sign that is seemingly immediately fulfilled in the time of Ahaz. Right, so, but who exactly this young woman is, uh, who the child is, uh, that's highly debated. Really, we don't know. But the main point is that Ahaz is receiving a sign showing him of his unbelief that is a judgment upon him. But of course, you know, we're in the Advent season. Uh, we're not trying to highlight and look at particular that particular fulfillment of that prophecy. We want to look at the second fulfillment or the ultimate fulfillment that's found in Jesus. In the second fulfillment, this, the, the word virgin here, we can take to mean virgin. I think you can see here the beauty of the term that Isaiah uses. He doesn't use a technical term for virgin, but he also doesn't use a technical term for woman. So it can be a dual fulfillment. And, and, and if you see in your handout, uh, what we'll be focusing on is kind of three questions to kind of frame, uh, frame this sermon and frame the series of sermons through the book of Advent. Uh, if you have your handout, you'll see on the back side of the page the sermon title and the verse and the three questions that are listed below. Uh, these are to help kind of frame the sermon. And, and we want to look at that first question now. What is the promise that God had made? Right, how is this, what is this promise and how do we see it maybe fulfilled in Jesus? Well, we'll see uh, that, that behold, there is going to be a virgin. She's going to conceive and bear a son and she'll call his name Emmanuel. So as you look at that question, what is the promise God made? God, through Isaiah, says there will be a virgin. She will conceive and give birth to a son. And now similar to what I did last week, what I'd like to do is jump ahead to that third question and see how does Jesus fulfill that promise and then go back into question two to see why might God have done this? Why is this important? Uh, so if you'd, if you'd like, turn with me to, in your Bibles, to the first book of the New Testament, the gospel according to Matthew. There's two places in the New Testament where we see this uh, is explicitly fulfilled. I'll be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you don't want to turn there, uh, you can hear as I read aloud. So the, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that is a fancy term that just means uh, legally uh, committed to be married. She's betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, 
being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In this culture, in this context, if you got pregnant out of wedlock, uh, that was a huge cultural no-no. You were ashamed. Uh, it, it would not would have been good for Mary. So Joseph, trying to be a just and up, upright man, did not want to put her to public shame. And, and you can imagine kind of, I mean, maybe you can try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes, what that would have been like. You're engaged to this girl. She gets pregnant. You know that you haven't been with her. Um, yeah, I'm going to look for something else. But as he considered these things, in verse 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a direct quote from Isaiah 7:14. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. Knew in the ESV is a euphemism for uh, sexual intimacy, being with her. He had not consummated the marriage, essentially, until after she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So there we see clear fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. Let's look at another uh, passage, Luke, the gospel according to Luke. Flip your Bibles, pages, a, a couple, oh my gosh, I'm struggling. After Matthew is Mark, and after Mark is Luke. So let's go to Luke, look at chapter 1. Starting in verse 26. The same story, just told from a different perspective, particularly looking at uh, Mary's experience. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Notice the repetition of that phrase, virgin. And the angel said to her, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So we see Matthew and Luke, both very important in fulfillment of that, that idea that there would be a virgin who would give birth uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and this would be the coming Messiah. This is, this is the origin of Jesus. This is a truth that the early church clung to and held to as important and dear, is what is, what is kind of formational in, in what was an early a creed that the early church said, what's, what's been titled the Apostles' Creed. It says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So this is an important idea, an important truth that the early church clung to. The church was affirmed again in uh, the first council of Nicaea, 
in AD 325, what's called the Nicene Creed, which says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consensual with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. This is an important truth that the early church clung to. They believed in Matthew and Luke clearly described the importance of this. But why? Why might this be important? Why might this be important? Let's look at that second question in your handout. Why was it important that Jesus be born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, uh, become a man. Why is that important? And I want to break it down into two, two aspects of the promises I want to explore. Number one, why is it important that Jesus would be born of a virgin, a woman who has never known a man? Secondly, why is it important that Jesus would be born as a son, a man, a human? So let's consider why, why might it be important for Jesus to be born of a virgin woman? And this is actually a promise that goes all the way back to the beginning of your Bibles found in Genesis chapter 3. The beginning of the Bible starts with God creating all things good, Genesis 1 and 2. God created man and female in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Everything was good, created for the flourishing of humanity. And yet in Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to this character called the serpent who tempts Adam and Eve, leads them to believe that, that God is somehow withholding something from them, that he's not good, that his word can't be trusted. So Eve takes of the fruit and eats it. She disobeys God. That this, She takes the one fruit from the tree that God said, don't eat from this. You can have any tree that you want, but don't eat from this tree. God comes and, and finds them as they've disobeyed him, and, and he lists out this, these, these curses, essentially, what you find in Genesis 3. And the first curse he gives is actually to the serpent. He says in Genesis 3, verses 14, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you have tempted Eve, you have led them to rebellion, now the creation has been shattered and broken, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first promise of the gospel that we see in the Bible. The Amplified Bible says it like this, I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. Essentially, God's promise that through the seed of a woman, the serpent would be crushed. The serpent would be defeated, and Jesus is this promised seed, the promised given to the serpent. This is what the great uh, preacher, the prince of preachers, a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon says, just as the woman by her venturous spirit stepped first into transgression, lest she should be despised and trampled on, God in his wisdom devised that the woman and the woman alone should be the author of the body of the God-man who should redeem mankind. Albeit that she herself first tasted the accursed fruit and tempted her husband, Lest she, should be lest she should be disgraded, lest she should not stand on equality with him. God hath ordained that so it should be that this son should be sent forth born of a woman. And the first promise was that the seed of the woman, 
not the seed of the man, should bruise the serpent's head. Why is it important to be born of a woman? We see this as fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. The seed of a woman would crush the serpent's head. But why particularly, why a virgin? (coughs) Firstly, I think this demonstrates and shows the sovereignty of God, the all-powerful creator that God is. This is what the angel tells Mary later in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I can think of a lot of miracles, uh, but the reality of a virgin conceiving is supernatural. I was doing some study on this reality, and there's been, actually, there have been some people who have claimed to have given birth as a virgin, but later they forgot, or they were deceived, or they were on something. Um, In other words, this has never happened for a female human. There's actually no mammal who can reproduce asexually without kind of a, a, yeah, something else, fertilizing the egg. That's what I'm trying to say, I think. This doesn't happen naturally. That's, we know that, right? This reality is outside of natural law. The, the female human cannot develop or grow an embryo without fertilization by a male. I should have just read that there. That's a lot more clear. <laughs> Try to stick more to my notes, guys. Now, I certainly don't want to pretend or understand womanhood and all that it entails, but I imagine that it's nice. It's a comforting reality to know that as a woman, um, you, you need outside help to get pregnant. Like You're not just going to be walking around and boom, randomly impregnated, right? That would be rough, wouldn't it? This is not what happens naturally. This reality is so outside of natural law that many had just think this is outlandish, they reject it. There's no way that a virgin could conceive. This is, this, is, this is impossible. But if there was a child whose name was Jesus, if he really walked on the earth and claimed to be the Son of God and claimed that he would be raised on the third day, if he died on a Roman cross and he really did that, he really rose from the grave, certainly virgin birth is nothing if God can reverse death, Right? So, this highlights the the sovereignty, the all-powerful God that we serve. Secondly, the virgin birth is a clear example and foreshadow that salvation does not come through human hard work or human ability. It's the supernatural work of God. This miracle highlights that salvation comes from God's initiating sovereign grace. Yes, God promised that the seed of a woman would crush the serpent, but the seed was born in a way where God shows his power, his supernatural abilities, not human effort. Mary was not praying in her closet. At least it's not recorded here. I don't think she was praying in her closet. God, I really desire to give birth to the Messiah. Grant me a husband. And by her response to the angel, she was not expecting to give birth apart from a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And friends, Mary, Mary was chosen and elected not because she was better or morally good. It was God's initiating sovereign grace. This is what this reality points to. Thirdly, the virgin birth Mary conceiving by the power of the Holy Spirit makes possible the reality that Jesus was born fully God and fully man and yet was sinless. The angel says to Mary in Luke 135, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
In other words, the virgin birth allows this mysterious union, this reality that God took on humanity, yet was born as a sinless human. We know that Jesus was not sent down as a floating orb. He wasn't a ghost-like spirit. He took on flesh. He became human. He was born as a baby, but he was not affected or infected by uh, this inherited guilt and sin that we all are from humanity's father, Adam. And I don't think this means, as maybe the Roman Catholic Church might teach, that Mary was sinless herself, because how she could give birth to a sinless baby if she wasn't sinless, uh, the Bible does not teach that. I think that's in contrary to what the Scriptures teach. I think it's more accurate to conclude that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit overshadowing and coming upon her, this is Jesus. How, this is how he was born sinless. The Holy Spirit caused her to conceive, and Jesus did not receive the sinful nature from either Joseph or Mary. The supernatural beginning sets the trajectory of this supernatural baby who will do supernatural things, live a supernatural life, die, and be raised supernaturally. So we've explored why is it important to be born as a woman, born from a woman, not born as a woman, born from a woman who's a virgin. Let's, Let's think at why might it be important that Jesus be born as a son, a man, a human. And the big, the big reality, the big truth from this is that Jesus would come as the substitute, the ransom, the representative sacrifice, the mediator between God and man as the God-man. Jesus came to live the life that humanity was intended to live. We were designed to live in perfect relationship with God, yet we couldn't because all humanity has been affected by sin, by nature and by choice. And Jesus came to be humanity's representative. God became human to live the life that we could never live. As Jesus, the Son of God, was born to be the human, to be our sacrificial substitute, he would get the punishment and the wrath and the anger of God that we deserved, that God's, that sinful humanity deserves. God's wrath would be poured out on. He would take that in sinful humanity's place. And Jesus, as the God-man, upholds the justice of God in which sin must be dealt with. Broken, vile, wicked creatures cannot be in his holy presence. They would be obliterated. And Jesus makes this possible by being our representative. Jesus being a man also means that that Jesus can sympathize with us. He walked on the earth. He breathed the air that we breathe. He experienced pain and stress and loss and temptation and anger and rejection. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect had been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is the one who makes God's very presence real and available to be with us. This is what Emmanuel means, God with us. Friends, so as we think about these realities, as we ponder this, if you think about the reality that, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he took on flesh, that he came to be Emmanuel, God with us. May that lead our hearts to worship and thank God for this mysterious reality of the virgin birth, of Jesus coming to take on flesh. We think about Jesus, who the Bible describes as created all things. All things are made by him and through him and to him. Jesus, who made the vast expanse of our universe, all the stars, the universe, the galaxies, came to walk on earth. 
came to earth, the eternal being from everlasting to everlasting, he entered time. Friends, God has come to us to live with us, to be with us, to be God with us. And if we receive this Jesus, we trust in this Jesus, we will never be apart from him. Whether we are on the highest mountain or the lowest valley, whether we are in the desert or in the middle of the ocean, if we have Jesus, we can say, I'm not alone. God is with me. Jesus came to be God with us. If you receive Jesus through the empowering and indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, we can say this reality. One preacher said it like this, O marvelous sight, let us stand and look at it. A child of a virgin, what a mixture. There is the finite and the infinite. There is the mortal and the immortal, corruption and incorruption, the manhood and the Godhead, time married to eternity. God linked with the creature, the infinity, infinity of August maker came to tabernacle on the speck of earth, the vast unbounded one whom earth could not hold and the heavens cannot contain, lying in his mother's arms. He who fastened the pillars of the universe and riveted the nails of creation hanging on a mortal breast, depending on a creature for nourishment. O marvelous birth, O miraculous conception, we stand and gaze and admire. Verily, angels may wish to look into a subject too dark for us to speak of. There we leave it. A virgin hath conceived and born a son. Let us take comfort and find courage, my friends, in this reality of the virgin birth, that God has become man, that God sent Jesus, born of a virgin, to be with us. Certainly, if a virgin can conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit, if it is not by human effort and wisdom that Jesus was born, all things are possible with God. No one is too far from God. No one is too far from the hand of God or from his sovereign grace. God in the Holy Spirit can do miracles in our hearts, cause us to believe and do things that we never thought might be possible. Make us believe that he is better above all things that in him there is joy and fullness in this world that, that can never satisfy us. He can change our hearts of stone to love and to worship him. Do you believe this, friends? All things are possible with God. Let's pray. Father, if all things are possible with you, then certainly you can forgive and indwell the worst of sinners like me. Father, would you help our church to cherish this reality that God has come to be with us, that Jesus has come born of a virgin, and not on the basis of our goodness or our moral performance, but simply by his sheer grace. Father, as we reflect upon what it means to remember Christmas and to celebrate this Advent season, may we relish on this reality of the virgin birth, and may it lead to new awe and wonder in our hearts and gratitude and, and thanksgiving at your mysterious ways. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a church that ushers in God's very presence into the lives of others. That we would be a, free, a people who freely offer this gift of grace. That God has come to be with us and that if you repent and believe in him, you receive him. That is simply by faith that you receive him.
Father, I thank you for your word and the promises that are found within that all points and highlights the great story of the gospel. Thank you that we get to look and examine uh, promises and prophecies and see how that, that you have fulfilled them. And Father, may this strengthen our faith and bolster our knowledge and our awareness that you are good and you are sovereign and that you are in control. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray that you would be with us as we respond in worship and thanksgiving of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.